0: be effective in our praying without the power of God at work among us and so to experience his presence is an amazing thing I can say God is good now when I say God is good you say all the time and when I say all the time you say God is good ready go God is good and all the time how many know he knows what we need when we need it and I'm thankful for his touch this morning what a blessing uh, that truly is, take your Bibles, please turn with me to second Samuel chapter number nine, and if we could let 's turn the air down two clicks or i 'm going to preach on hell it's up to y'all, but <laughs> Second Samuel chapter nine, and let's look, please, starting in verse number one. Now this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of the mystery concerning Mephibosheth, or if you prefer, we can call it loose from Lodobar, but either way I want us to see the truth concerning a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, let's take our Bibles and start in verse number 1, and I'm going to read for you the entire chapter. It's just 13 verses. Look what the Bible says. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show you the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. Everybody say, Lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And the king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker and the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now look what happens in verse number 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, "Fear not; for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake." Everybody say for Jonathan's sake. Now watch, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Praise God for that. Now watch, look what he says. And he bowed himself and said, "Why, what is thy servant, and that thou shouldest look upon him a dead dog as I am?" And the king called to Ziba. Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to his house. Thou therefore, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring him in the first fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. I love that. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. (laughs) Wow. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Zeba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Lord, I am thankful for the picture of grace and mercy that you've shown us through your word. And Lord, I'm asking you right now to move me out of the way so that today you might show us grace and mercy made real to each and every person in this place. God, I can do nothing in and of myself. And Lord, I want to do nothing in and of myself. Lord, I don't want to come today and go through the motions. I want to come today and experience you. Lord, I want you to give us a fresh anointing, a fresh touch. I'm praying that you speak to me, Lord Jesus, and you speak through me, Holy Spirit, Your word to your people, Lord, according to your power and your purpose. Lord, I'm asking today that you would do exactly what you alone are capable of doing. That you would convict hearts and change lives. I'm praying that you would encourage the saint and convict the sinner and bring us all to the place we need to be at. For you know our hearts better than we know our hearts ourselves. And Lord, I'm asking you. Right now to receive all honor and glory from everything that takes place. From every prayer that's prayed, from every message that's preached, from every song that's sang, may you be glorified for you alone are worthy. God, do your work today in the hearts and lives of these people and start with me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning I want to give you uh, the mystery Concerning Mephibosheth. Now mystery is defined as something that is difficult to discern or understand. I remember when I was a little boy... Now, my favorite cartoon that I watched every day as soon as I got home from school was Scooby-Doo. Anybody else like Scooby-Doo? Now, let me tell you what I liked about Scooby-Doo. Every time on every episode of Scooby-Doo, they would all get in what was called uh, the mystery van. Does anybody remember the mystery van? I got one for Christmas one time. I had the flowers painted on the sign, and it actually said, the was it the mystery wagon or the mystery van? The mystery machine, that's what it was. The mystery machine, and they would all gather up in the mystery machine, and they would start, going out and gathering up clues, trying to figure out uh, what the the mystery was all about. And so this morning, that's what we're really going to do. We're going to take the Word of God. We're going to look through it and see what the mystery concerning Mephibosheth is all about. Now, folks, I want you to know something. There's three points I'm going to give you today. I'm going to talk to you, first of all, about his family having fallen. His family had fallen, and that is the beginning of the mystery for me. Now, those of you who are students of the Word of God, you know that Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. That Jonathan was the son of Saul and was anointed to be the first king of the nation of Israel. Now, I don't have time to go back to this morning and share with you all the scripture that I want you to look at this week, but I want you in your quiet time to go back and read the scripture I'm going to give you because the Lord will speak to your heart if you'll do so. In 1 Samuel chapter chapters 9 and 10, you'll find the story of how Saul was anointed to be king over the nation of Israel by a na- man named Samuel, a great man of God. And then you're going to find in, ver- in chapters 13, through 15 of the book of 1 Samuel how Saul disobeyed the Lord and because Saul disobeyed the Lord the Bible says that the Lord rejected Saul as king and if you go back you're going to see that listen Saul partially obeyed the Lord but continually walked in total disobedience now there's a lesson in that for you and for me how many of you know that partial obedience to the Lord is disobedience You you can't just go uh, halfway with Jesus. Listen, what God has told you to do, we need to be careful in doing that. What God has made known for you in Scripture to do, you need to be careful in doing that. Brother Ben Harris done a fantastic job this morning before Sunday school in his devotion. And he talked about how to know the will of God. We know the will of God by the word of God. Can you say amen to that? And so if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, let me tell you what you do. You get down your blessed Bible, which is the absolute truth, the standard of God's Word, and I want you to take and look for yourself what God has commanded for you. And when you see what God has commanded, then you just do what God's Word says. Now I'm going to tell you something, God will uh, give specific callings to people from time to time, and, and if that's happened to you, that's fantastic, but if God has never made a specific call upon your life, let me tell you what you do. You get God's Word, find out what it says, and then do what you can according to your power, working by His power to accomplish God's will according to His Word. That's what we got to do. Now, partial obedience is disobedience. And I'm going to tell you something. Disobedience will cost you individually, and disobedience will cost you collectively. Listen, it'll cost you individually in what God wants to do in your life. It'll cost you collectively in what God wants to do in your family. And what God wants to do in the people's lives around you. And what God wants to do in your church. And what God wants to do at your workplace. So listen, we've got to be careful to do what God has called us to do. Saul wasn't careful, and it cost him greatly. You can go back and read that for yourself. And then we find after uh, Saul was rejected as king from the Lord because of his disobedience, God said, I'm going to find me a man that is after mine own heart. I love that verse. We've quoted that verse many times. You've probably heard it uh, said many times, but that's what the Bible says about King David. David, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better compliment than that. <laughs> if God himself says, that's a man after mine own heart, that's a big deal. Let me tell you why. Because God knows my heart better than I know my heart. God knows your heart better than you know your heart. Do you know, folks, I can hide from you and you can hide from me? That's not that difficult. We usually only see each other about three times a week. I, I, so I can hide from you, you can hide from me, but how you know, none of us can hide from the Lord. He knows us at our best and he knows us at our worst. He knows what we do in the light. He knows what we do in the dark. He knows what we're going to do tonight. He knows what we did last night. None of us can hide from him. And so if God, knowing the heart of David, said, that's a man after mine own heart, that's a big compliment. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man after God's own heart. Listen, if you're a child of God, there will be a desire within you to follow the Lord in such a way that he would say, that's a man, that's a woman after mine own heart. That's who David was. How do I know that? Because the Bible says after uh, God rejected Saul as king, he chose David through the anointing of Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, he chose David to be the next king of the nation of Israel. Let me tell you what I love about 1 Samuel 16. I am going to ask you to turn there. Keep your place in 2 Samuel. But I want you to flip back with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Let's look at one verse there, and then we're going to continue very quickly. Look what it says. 1 Samuel 16, verse number 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as a man seeth. For the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Say amen if you're thankful for that this morning. Let me tell you something. You may not look the part. The world may look at you and say there's not much to you. You may not be the best looking. You may not be what the world would consider king material. But I'm going to tell you something. God don't see as man sees. God don't look as a man looks. God looks at the heart. So everybody else may be looking over you. Everybody else may be looking around you. If you go back and study in 1 Samuel chapter 16, even David's dad forgot about him. There came a time where all the sons of of, of Jesse had passed before Samuel or so Samuel thought and he said, is there not anybody else I could call? And he said, well I've got my young son that's out in the field but he's tending the sheep. You don't want him, do you? David's father his own dad didn't even see the potential but God don't look as a man looks and God don't see as a man sees God sees the heart and God began to use David to do a fantastic work among his people that changed the world forever can you say amen it was through the line of David that the Lord Jesus came praise God so quit worrying about what everybody else is saying Quit worrying about what everybody else thinks. Quit worrying about how everybody else puts you down. Quit worrying about everybody else's opinion of you. What you need to be worried about is what God sees in your heart because that's where he's looking and that's what he uses. So the Bible says David was called to be the next king. Now, you all know the story. 1 Samuel 17, what happened? David killed Goliath. The Bible says they started making up songs about David. David has killed his thousands and his ten thousands. Saul's killed his hundreds. <laughs> and when Saul heard that, he got jealous. And jealousy wrecked the relationship. There's a lesson in that for us. Do you know jealousy will wreck your relationships? Do you know it'll wreck your friendships? It'll wreck your family. You know that jealousy can wreck your church? Let me tell you why Saul was so jealous of David. Because God was doing such a work in David's life that the people began to notice that the presence and power of God was working on, working in, and working through David. They couldn't say the same for Saul, not because God didn't want to work in Saul, but because Saul was disobedient. Because Saul wouldn't do what God said. As a matter of fact, Samuel actually came to Saul at one point and said, God is ready to do a great work in you. God is ready to make your your name stand among his people forever. But he can't do that because you won't do what he's telling you to do. And so Saul got jealous. And jealousy wrecked the relationship he had with David to the point that he went seven years seeking to kill David. It's amazing, man. This is a great story, and I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. Jealousy will tear you apart, will tear your relationships apart, and that's what had, happened between Saul and David himself. I want to read to you a story about jealousy that I found uh, this week. It's written by a man by, a man by the name of G.W. Target. He wrote this essay, and it's called The Window. He says, there was once two men, both seriously ill, in the same room of a great hospital. A very small room, just large enough for the two of them. Two beds, two uh, bedside lockers, a door opening on the hall, and one window looking out on the world. One of the men, as part of his treatment, was allowed to sit up in the bed for an hour in the afternoon. Something that had to do with draining the fluid from his lungs. And his bed was next to the window. Now listen to this. But the other man had to spend all his time lying flat on his back. And both of them had been kept quiet and still which was the reason they were in the small room by themselves. They were grateful and peaceful and privacy and none of the bustle and they were grateful for the peaceful and pri- for the peace and the privacy, none of the bustle and clatter and prying eyes of the general ward for them. Of course, one of the disadvantages of their condition was that they weren't allowed much to do. No reading, no radio, certainly no television. They just had to keep quiet and still just the two of them. They used to talk for hours and hours about their wives, their children, their homes, their former jobs, their hobbies, their childhood, what they did during the war, and all they did on vacations, all that sort of thing. Every afternoon, when the man in the bed next to the window was propped up for his hour, he would pass the time by describing what he could see outside. And the other band began to live for those hours. The window apparently overlooked a park with a lake where there were ducks and swans and children throwing them bread and sailing model boats. And young lovers was walking hand in hand beneath the trees. And there were flowers and stretches of grass and games of softball and people taking their ease in the sun and shine. And right at the back, behind the fringe of trees, a fine view of the city skyline. The man on his back would listen to all this, enjoying every minute, how a child nearly fell into the lake, and how beautiful girls were in the summer dresses, and then on an exciting uh, baseball game, or a boy playing with his puppy, it got to the place that he could almost see what was happening outside. Listen, then one fine afternoon, when there was sort of a parade, uh, the thought struck him. Why should that man next to the window have all the pleasure of seeing what's going on? Why shouldn't I get the chance? He felt ashamed and tried not to think like that, but the more he tried, the worse he wanted to change. He'd do anything. In a few days, he had turned sour. How I many know that's what jealousy does? It turns you sour. He he should be by the window, and he brooded and couldn't even sleep, and grew even more seriously ill, which none of the doctors understood. One night, as he stared at the ceiling, the man in the, uh, by the window suddenly woke up, coughing and choking, and the fluid congesting in his lungs. His hands uh, were were, uh, were reaching to the ceiling. The coughing racked the darkness on and on, choked off, and then stopped. And the man continually stared at the ceiling. In the morning, the day nurse came in with water for their baths and found. That the man was dead and asked the other gentleman why he didn't call the nurse and he said he didn't hear they took away his body quietly with no fuss and as soon as it seemed decent the man asked if he could be moved to the bed by the window they moved him tucked him in and made him quite comfortable and left him alone to be quiet and still the minute they'd gone he propped himself up on one elbow painfully and laboriously he looked out the window and found that it, that it faced a blank wall. Jealousy ruins relationships, kills relationships that are beneficial to you. It can be friends, it can be family, it can be church members. Listen to me. Love Jesus. Love people. And if God is blessing someone else, praise God for it. Amen? Amen? Let me say something else. Love churches. And what I found out, some of the most jealous people in the world are pastors. If something good happens to another church, some pastors get mad about it. Don't get mad about what God's doing in another church. We're all on the same team here. Amen. We're in the kingdom business. And if people are being saved and people's growing in the Lord and God's doing a work, praise God for it. Now, what God wants to do us, I'm ready for it. And if God wants to bless us to 500 people, praise God. But if God wants to give us five people sold out to him, praise God, all of it's good. Don't get mixed up in all that stuff. Saul got mixed up in it and it ruined his relationship to the point he tried to kill David. It's amazing. And finally, We find in 2 Samuel that Saul and Jonathan, who had become very close with David, fell on the battlefield in Jezreel. Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed and then David became king. David became king. God began to continually bless him. He unified the two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms. He made Jerusalem the place uh, that would be the capital city and brought the Ark of the Covenant in. The Bible says that David went into the temple there after having brought the Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence and power of God among God's people. He brought the Ark in and then the Bible says that David danced naked before the Lord. Can you say amen? let me say something to you. You say, brothers, does that mean that if I'm going to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart, I need to dance naked before the Lord? I'm going to tell you to pray about it. Pray about it. But my point is, David was a man of prayer. David was a man of praise. And because David was a man of prayer, you'll know that if you read the book of Psalms. You'll know that he's a man of praise if you read the book of Psalms. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of praise. And because he was a man of prayer and praise, he was a man of power. And God's power was working on him, working in him, and working through him. God was blessing him mightily, not only to unify the southern and the northern kingdom, but he also enlarged the borders by defeating the Philistines. Praise God. And the Lord was moving and working in David's life in the kingdom. God's presence and power was at work. David needed nothing from nobody because God was meeting all his needs. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find the story of Mephibosheth. The family of Mephibosheth had fallen. Saul was dead. Jonathan was dead. And it was customary in that day for the king who took the throne to kill the bloodline of the former king. Because they didn't want anybody else coming back and trying to claim their place on the throne. And I'm going to tell you something. David would have been justified in front of the people by doing so. That was what every king had done. But that's not what David did. David chose to show kindness to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. Even though his family had fallen. Now, looking through fleshly physical eyes, that becomes a mystery to us. Looking through the eyes of sin, that becomes a mystery to us through our sinful nature that we all have. But listen, it's not a mystery at all if you look through the eyes of the Spirit. Because how many of you know, as men and women of God, we are called to show kindness even though people may have done us wrong. Even though people's people may have done us wrong. We are called and, listen, commanded by Jesus to show kindness unto everybody, to show the love of Jesus. Not only with our lips, but praise God with our lives. And that's exactly what David did with Mephibosheth, even though his family had fallen. Now, how does this apply to me and you? Well, the truth is, how I many know oh, our family has fallen? Now, your, your family may not have been the former kings of a nation. But, but I can say this to you. We are all part of the human family. If you believe it, say amen. You know We've all got a Pawpaw and his name's Adam. <laughs> and our great, 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 how many greats it is, Pawpaw Adam that sin in the Garden of Eden, listen, caused us to live in a fallen creation, listen to me now, separated from God because of our sin. Romans chapter number three says it like this. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. We've all turned our own way and done our own thing. We've all disobeyed God just like we heard about Saul. Every one of us. You, me, and everybody else. The Bible says plainly that, uh, folks, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is destruction, Proverbs 16, 25. The Bible says, Isaiah 53 and 6, that we have all like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on Jesus the iniquity or the sin of us all. Our family, the family of the human race, Has fallen as well. So just like Mephibosheth. Our family is in a pitiful shape. His family had fallen. But let me give you something else. Because of his frailty. His work was futile. Look with me what the Bible says here. Verse number 2. And there was, the house of, uh, there was the house of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. When they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. Everybody say, Lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. The Bible says he's lame on his feet. See, there was nothing really that Mephibosheth could bring to the table. In his own power, he couldn't do the work needed to be worthy of sitting at the king's table. I'm going to tell you, he couldn't go out and fight the battle that uh, that they were going to face. If you go on and read in 2 Samuel, he couldn't go out and hoe in the garden and and, 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 and provide food for himself. That's why he needed the servants. He couldn't really do anything in his own power to make himself worthy of being accepted at the table of the king. Let me say something to you. This is a perfect picture of you and I. Perfect picture. Let me tell you why. Because none of us in our own power can make ourselves worthy of being accepted into the family of God at the table of the king. And the truth is, that's where we're already seated as the people of God. Truth is, God does not need me. God does not need my ability. God does not need my speech. God does not need my actions. God does not need me. He was getting along just fine without me. Amen? And he was getting along just fine without you. But by his grace, he saw fit to make us a part of his family and make us a part of what he's doing. It's not that God needs you but it is certainly that God wants you to be a part of his kingdom of his family as sons and daughters I remember one time when my little boy was young he was uh, he was daddy's boy <laughs> and he was about three or four years old and, and and while I was out in the yard working on a car one day this there's no car that I'd come up with and I've, I've always been a car nut and I love to work on them, fix them, do anything I can to them. So I was out there replacing a fog light in that car. it's was an 89 Ford Mustang GT. and I'm up under that car wrenching away, and my young son, about three, four years old, he comes out, crawls up under the car with me and says, Daddy, I want to help you. And, man, he started getting uh, tools out of the tool kit. He'd reach over there and get ratchets and wrenches, and he was t- uh, wrenching on every bolt he could reach up under that car. i well, wait a minute, son. I don't, don't take that out. You don't need to take this out. Don't lose my tools. Make sure you put this back where it goes, and I'm continually telling him all this. Man, he's out there just wrenching away, having a good time. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. That day, I could have done a lot better job replacing that fog light if he hadn't been out there. I really could have. But I'll also say this. There is no one I had rather have with me out there replacing a fog light than my son. You see, folks, I didn't need him, but I certainly wanted him. And as his father, because I love him, I allowed him to be a part of what I was doing. And that's the same thing God has done with us. He didn't need us, but he certainly wanted us to be a part of what he's doing. And by being a part of what he's doing, we experience the abundant life. We receive eternal life. Amen? So God is good. And all the time. He has shown us grace. And he's shown us mercy. Now what is grace? Well, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, his favor. And what is mercy? Mercy is God, listen to me, not giving us what we do deserve, which is His wrath. And this is the picture of David and Mephibosheth. David showed Mephibosheth grace, what he didn't deserve. He had nothing to bring to the table. And he he showed him mercy. He didn't give him what he did deserve, which was death. And God has done the same with you and with me. We bring nothing to the table. I'm telling you, it's all by God's grace that we are saved. Ephesians chapter 2, let me share this with you. All of you already know this verse, but man, it's good to have a refresher from time to time. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 8. I love how the Bible teaches here. The Bible says plainly, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, if you believe it, say amen. And it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. How many of you know, you don't work for a gift, you receive a gift. You're not given a gift because you're good. You're given a gift because you're loved. I wasn't given a gift because I was good. As a matter of fact, I was God's enemy. I was a sinner separated from God. But because God loved me, he showed me grace. Because God loved me, he showed me mercy. Same that David did to Mephibosheth. The Bible says then, not of works lest any man should boast. See, if it was by your works, I could brag about it. I can tell you how good I was and what I've done to receive salvation. But I can't brag about anything because I brought nothing to the table. Just like Mephibosheth couldn't brag. He brought nothing to the table. He was in Lodabar. The place of death. That's where I was when Jesus found me. You see, David is a picture of Christ. Mephibosheth is a picture of me and you. David found Mephibosheth in the place of death And Jesus found me in the place of death I was lost and undone Helpless and hopeless without Christ Nothing that I could do To bring myself to the Lord Do you know that dead men do nothing? Why? Why don't dead men do nothing? Because they're dead Dead men can do nothing And we were all spiritually dead until Jesus found us. And if you're here this morning and listen, you've not yet trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, you've not received the free gift of grace, you're still dead in trespasses and sins. But I'm thankful the same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you if you'll trust Him. If you'll trust Him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, let's go on with this just a little deeper. He says here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Watch this next part wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved how are we accepted into the beloved listen it's not because of who we are it's because of who Jesus is just like Mephibosheth was accepted in the family of David not because of what Mephibosheth was or what he had done but because of who Jonathan was and what Jonathan had done isn't that what the Bible said Do you remember that? 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse number 7 And David said unto him, said unto Mephibosheth Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will store thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Why was Mephibosheth accepted into the family of the king and set at his table on behalf of another why are we accepted in the family of God on behalf of another? Because of who Christ is. Because of what Jesus has done. This is a mystery. Can't be seen by fleshly eyes. It takes the Spirit. Amen. Amen. family had fallen, but listen to me. He also could do nothing for himself. It's amazing. The righteousness of Christ is imputed on our behalf by faith. Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5. Paul makes this argument. He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified or made right by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Then he, he clears it up, and, and starting in verse 22, he says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Not, it, was not, it, not, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. He goes on to say, Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Therefore, verse chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are accepted into the beloved because when we place our faith in Christ, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed or counted on our behalf. Mephibosheth's family had fallen. Our family has fallen. And his frailty, his work was futile. But Let me give you one more thing, and I'm done. His future was unfortunate. The Bible says that he was in Lodabar. Let me tell you what Lodabar means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, Lodabar means a place without pasture. It was a place that grew nothing. It was a desert land that was dead and lifeless. (laughs) And if Mephibosheth had stayed in Lodabar, he would have certainly not experienced the blessing of God, the fellowship of the king. But because he didn't stay in Lodabar, because the king came looking for him, he was able to then sit down at the king's table and experience all the king had to offer. So what did the king had to offer? We had a lot to offer. First of all, listen to me now, Mephibosheth was made a prince. If you go back and read, you'll find there in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he says he's going to be treated as one of my sons. You remember us reading that? How many of you know that we who are the children of God have went from being paupers who had nothing to being princes in the family of God? Romans 8.15 says it like this. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Then he says in Romans 8.17 that we have become heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus. We are made like a son of God. The Bible says... We're put into God's family. And because of that, we have a future. We are made princes, but we're also given provision. Can you say amen? Mephibosheth was able to sit down and eat at the king's table. Everything was provided for him. The Bible says in Philippians 4:19 that my God shall supply all your needs. According to his riches and glory, he's my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. Can I give you another one? Phoebe she received protection. Amen. Now, folks, I don't know what this world has to offer. I don't know what the world has holds for me tomorrow, or next month, or next week, or next year. I don't know what the future holds, but praise God, I know who holds the future. I know in whom I place my trust. I know that He has accepted me into the Beloved, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. And I'm made partakers of the blessing of God, of the riches that Ephesians chapter 1 talks of. I'm seated with Him, the Bible says, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God sees me as already being seated with Him because my salvation is so complete. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 that we are made princes and princesses, a royal priesthood in Christ that we have been brought out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. My future has changed. If you're a child of God, your future's changed. And if you're not a child of God, your future can change today. You me tell you Why? Because I was once in Lodabar, but I've been loosed. I was once in the place of death with no future, but I have been loosed by the power of God. He's changed my life. He's given me life eternal, which is life abundant. The Bible says it like this. John 7 and 37, Jesus said, All you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus said, if your burden is heavy, if you're weak and heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. If I'm speaking to some Mephibosheth today who are cripples, who can't do for yourself, listen, Jesus can do for you. He can do for you what you can't. If you need him today, Trust Him today. Now this is the purpose of this message. I hope and pray that it encourages you as a child of God. Hope and pray that you know you've become sons and daughters of God Almighty. That you've been seated at the King's table, blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. But I pray if you lost today, this message brings conviction to your heart, realizing you can't do it yourself. You bring nothing to the table. God don't need you, but praise God He wants you. And He made a way through His Son so that you might be born again so that you can sit at the king's table, become sons and daughters of God, and realize God's blessing in your life. Oh, listen. He's good. He's good all the time, and all the time he's good. If you need him today, trust him. Everybody stand together. you need to be saved today. I can't save you. I can't. This church can't save you. Walking this aisle can't save you. Being a good person can't save you. But I tell you this, the same Jesus who saved me can save you if you'll trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Only trust Him today. You come to the Lord. I wanna share with you in the Word of God what it means to be born again. If that's you today, you come. If you already have been saved, maybe you wanna come pray for a lost loved one. Maybe you've got a need in your life that only God can fix. (laughs) You know what I found out? God will do for his children what he won't do for nobody else. Just like you'll do for your children What you won't do for nobody else, and so if you have a need, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, your righteousness, your healer. Whatever you need, he's able. Oh, he loves you. This week, we were in Macon, Georgia. I heard a song entitled Cripple at the Table. And when I heard that, it's like the Holy Spirit of God just burned that into my spirit. I bring nothing to the table. If God don't do it, It's not going to get done. But I believe he can do it. Amen? That's faith. That's faith. What's true for Mephibosheth is true for us. Allow the king this morning to show you grace and mercy needed if you'll only receive it. Whatever you need today, you come. I'd love to pray with you. you need to be baptized? Come. Hey man, we're supposed to do something. We can get you in there too. Love to. You need to join this church? Today's the day. What are you waiting on? I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're not saved, come let us help you. If you are saved, won't you come help us? We need you. Let God use you right here. This is your invitation. You'll be closing the service, brother.